You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. So today we're going to discuss a topic near and dear to my heart and the Seaplane Pilots Association's heart, such as all of our topics here at Waterflying. Seaplane access in Colorado. That is the topic for the day. So Colorado, with its two dozen rivers and over 2,000 lakes and reservoirs, has long been accessible to seaplanes. And this is largely as a result of pretty harsh public policies uh, pointed at seaplanes. And I'd like people to consider this. When I became the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association back in 2011, Colorado was the only state in the United States with zero legal seaplane access. And there had never been legal seaplane access in my lifetime in the state. That's amazing. And also, if this is a competition, I just want to say, I also have a really personal investment in this topic. Us competitive? No, no. (laughs) So my family's from Colorado. We have family in Denver and Boulder. My parents are actually in Pagosa Springs, Colorado right now, looking at property. Um, So all the vacations we've taken have been to Colorado. So I like the area. I know the area. And we had to be really careful when we were researching this topic and, you know, writing what we were going to talk about, we had to make sure that we kept the irony to a minimum because really when you talk about seaplanes in Colorado, the irony is just staggering. The fact that it's a state known for its active outdoor lifestyle and seaplane pilots are pretty much forced to sit on their hands. They don't have access. So today we want to learn more about seaplane access in Colorado. So we're joined today by Ray Hawkins, the Colorado field director. Ray, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be joining you both. Uh, Seaplane flying has always been a wonderful topic to discuss, and Colorado, even more so. Love it. Well, Ray, I cannot begin to thank you enough for your passion and and hard work and, and quite honestly, your unyielding commitment to opening Colorado's waters to seaplanes. So thank you very much. I appreciate your uh, your. Thanking me for that. <laughs> it's always been uh, a labor of love, as they say. Uh, aviation has been a part of my life since 1970, and uh, seaplane flying has been for the last uh, decade or more uh, here in Colorado. So thank you very much. And so I'd love a little bit of history on you. You are not a seaplane rated pilot right now, correct? No, that is true. I still do not have a seaplane rating, although that's definitely uh, a item that's going to be checking off here, hopefully very soon. Uh, I had uh, started looking at this seaplane rating approximately 10 years ago, whenever I was coming due for a flight review, and decided that I was going to use that seaplane rating uh, to check off that box. Uh, Unfortunately, I found out here in Colorado, I could not get the rating. But not only could I not get the rating, I couldn't even get a ride in a seaplane in the state. Good grief. 
Yeah, well, I have to say, you know, quite honestly, you're like one of our most active field directors, and I'm always using you as an example. You've received our Field Director of the Year Award, and I think it's uh, also ironic. We're going to use that word a couple of times. (laughs) Ironic. Uh, Ray, what do you do for a living? Well, I work for a governmental agency that will remain unnamed at this point. Uh, and I do a lot of computer work for them. Uh, so uh, I have a lot of experience in getting things done, working with uh, a group of uh, customers that are very demanding, as are seaplane pilots and the agencies that we have to deal with. Yeah, so uh, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there uh, in a way to make compromise. Shall remain <laughs> nameless. I love that. Shall remain nameless. But I just wanted to uh, kind of reinforce the fact that the government isn't always your enemy when it comes to these issues. That, you know, here here you are uh, a government employee and you have been the most ardent partner in our our struggles and our fight and our efforts to open Colorado. And, and I just, again, um, I, I'm going to shower you with thanks. So thank you. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. It's oh, really nice. No, we're having a moment. <laughs> it was nice. I, I appreciated it. So getting back to Colorado, kind of the history on seaplanes in Colorado. What is the big deal? I mean, what is the pushback on why Colorado has not allowed seaplanes? Well, the way that it uh, began, prior to 9-11, seaplanes and the state of Colorado kind of operated in ignorance of one another. Uh, what anybody uh, cared about just didn't seem to uh, register. Then after 9-11, of course, all aviation came to a stop. Right. And seaplanes were probably the last of the aviation segments to be released after that. But Colorado never did release that. Uh, so these items that they're most concerned about is safety and security. And then uh, approximately 2008, uh, they added in invasive species. And water quality in there, I think, as well, as part of the Absolutely. invasive are, species. Colorado is considered to be a headwater state, and so this is where a lot of water for the entire western part of the nation uh, is generated from, from the snows that we get in the mountains to the rains that we get during the summers. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's that's been one of the things that we've learned, I think, along the way here is that Colorado is not only uh, very strict on seaplane access to the point that they didn't have any but their boating access is, is highly regulated as well. And, and again, it comes around the same issues, public safety, water quality, and invasive species. And so uh, it really has been a learning process to look at, you know, how do we work to match the same uh, regulatory uh, kind of standards that the, the boating community has, but also address these public safety and water quality issues. Yes, it is. In fact, uh, whenever we began looking at the invasive species issue here in Colorado for seaplanes, we uh, adopted the state's own strict uh, regulations as how to inspect uh, the boats and how they are uh, given permits to get on the water. Uh, In fact, uh, with our uh, inspection process, 
100% of all seaplanes that go to our events, what have you, are inspected and or decontaminated as necessary. Whereas in at least one uh, boating activity that we're aware of, not a single boat was even inspected. Yeah, I might have been at that one. So that was uh, out at uh, Kenny, wasn't it? No, that was Lake Meredith. Oh, that is. Yeah, that was Meredith. And so (laughs) we we actually uh, videotaped all of the airplanes going through an inspection and certification process and and again, we watched, what, like 85 boats go in the water, and we didn't see a single inspection. That is correct. I don't want to throw the boating yeah, community, community under the bus there or, or, you know, cause any trouble, but I, I just want it to be known that we are doing our part, and we're doing everything we can to make sure that we're meeting and exceeding the standards that are expected of the boaters. Yes, even more than the uh, boaters, the seaplane pilot is a steward of the environment. Uh, we get to see the air, we get to see the water, we get to see the forests, all of these things. And uh, we see trash on the highways, we see uh, trash floating in the waters. Uh, we're, we are the ones that are uh, picking that stuff up and getting it out of the way. Absolutely. I mean, you're the ones who have to look at it every day and you want to enjoy your flying, you know, take care of where you're flying. It just kind of makes sense. But it's also because it is a safety issue. Absolutely. Trash that floats in the water is a hazard to a seaplane and could cause an issue that uh, would eventually cause an accident. So I see that we have, you know, those big three, the invasive species, the public safety concerns, water quality concerns. It seems like those are all things that have been refuted. Like you could understand concerns that agencies have, the ignorance that exists, but we can solve those problems. You know, if you're trying to inspect and operate under boat regulations, because you're kind of a boat, you just happen to fly. So it's very confusing to me, the idea that, you know, they have these issues that you have an answer for, and yet they're still so obstinate against, is that the right word? I no. think it, yeah, it is to they're a they're just point. so against seaplanes. We we and and it's funny because she's like the 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 doe walking into the the den of lions right now with this conversation because you and I have been so battle hardened by our experiences fighting for access in the state of Colorado and she can't understand it and it 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 has, just doesn't make sense to me like genuinely coming from an outside perspective like okay so solve the issue of invasive species solve the issue of public safety concerns, water quality. We're trying. We we have committed, and and I think, you know, Ray can really expand on this a lot more, but, I mean, we've committed to ensuring that all the seaplanes are meeting the exact same inspection standards for invasive species as the boating community. We've demonstrated the 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 boating accident statistic numbers versus the seaplane accident statistics. We've talked about water quality, and, and Ray, you can tell them, uh, you know, tell everyone about some of our experiences there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, you were at uh, the uh, Colorado State Parks uh, Commission meeting, and they refused to listen to even five minutes worth of explanation of how these numbers. The, the problem that uh, most people here have uh, that uh, are in a position of making policy is that they don't understand. They have heard 
and they have the fears that all of these invasive species are going to be crawling all over sea plains and that it's going to contaminate the waters. The fears outweigh the facts in their particular opinions. We have to make sure that they know the facts. They need to know the facts so that whenever uh, they are faced with these fears, they can combat those fears. And that's what we end up doing whenever we uh, uh, do these invasive species inspections, what have you. We videotape them. We uh, uh, document them. We send the results of those documents uh, to the uh, state so that they see that we are doing these things. And by continually setting the example, we are able to hopefully get some converts. And those converts have helped us because uh, we've got two privately owned lakes in the state that allow seaplanes now. That never was before. And both of those have been converted into seaplane bases, charted on the charts. Wow. Never yeah. has happened before. And, and that's been some of our frustration with, with Ray and I, Abby, is that we've literally offered to bring the top government invasive species training people into the state. We've offered to rewrite or, you know, kind of replicate the boating invasive species inspection manual and write it in a way that allows the inspectors to provide the same exact inspection to seaplanes. Um, we've really, I mean, in all honesty, we, we've said, look, we want to be sincere partners in protecting the natural resources of the state of Colorado, and we're committed to doing that. And all we want is when we're offering our knowledge and our resources, we just want an opportunity to have fair and equal access to the waterways. Just the conversation. Just allow me to have the conversation. So, you know, again, bringing up that word, ironic, but the public safety concerns, you know, you can understand that. Certainly they don't want seaplanes landing on people. And if the knowledge isn't there where they understand, you know, what our responsibility is as pilots before we touch down on any body of water. But the thing is, this is the first summer where they have seaplanes, they have fire bosses fighting fires in Colorado, correct? That is correct. In fact, we found out about those very soon after uh, we had an event where we had a fire boss sitting on the ramp, and it was there for public display. Hopefully, some of the uh, state officials saw it and decided that it was a tool that they could use. And uh, I found out that uh, not only were the fire bosses operating here, but the CL uh, 415s are also operating here. And I'm trying to get some video of that uh, as we speak. That's just so interesting. So the idea that they see seaplanes as a tool, but no one else can use them in Colorado. But they really haven't. I mean, this has been the first time they've even allowed firefighting airplanes to operate in the state. Because they learned about them. So it's, it's really just a matter of, you know, learning and talking and communicating where those concerns can be dispelled. So I'm going to give a quick shout out. We're, we're talking about the fire boss and some of the firefighting operations going on in Colorado right now, which are, again, the first time that they've ever occurred. If you happen to pick up a 2020 issue of Flying Magazine, the November issue of Flying Magazine, they've actually got a fire boss on the cover and they're doing a, uh, they've got a wonderful article um, called The uh, Fine Times on Fab Floats which is kind of a tribute to Whip Air's 60th anniversary. Whip Air produces uh, the Fire Boss 
float firefighting airplane that we're talking about. And Rob Mark did a, a just a quick shout out to Rob Mark who wrote the article. He did a great job. It's really fantastic. It's a great cover too. Yes, it is. So going back, um, right. How many seaplane pilots, how many rated seaplane pilots are in Colorado right now? Well, you'd be surprised. Colorado is ranked ninth per capita in seaplane pilots. In other words, <laughs> uh, there are only nine, or excuse me, only eight other uh, states that have more seaplane pilots per capita than Colorado. There's approximately 800 to 900 seaplane rated pilots in the state. And, by the way, I'm not one of them. And uh, <laughs> there are We're going to work on that. Yeah, uh, there are approximately 38 seaplanes registered in the state as well. Colorado ranks number nine out of 50 states. Yeah, so are we going to go back to that wow. ironic? Uh, no, <laughs> we got to stop. It's just, it's too much. It's overused. But- you know, in, well, I just got to jump in here because, you know, when I started this fight and, and Ray jumped on board with us to op- to open up Colorado, and I have to say, I think he came to me first. He's the one that got me on board. But there was a lot of justification of why are you fighting so hard to open up Colorado and why should we do this? And I was like, well, you know, the exact number that, that, that Ray just came up with, when you have a state that is in the top 10 of all the states in the country for the number of rated seaplane pilots, and we don't even have access in that state, we have a problem. And if we, SPA, aren't doing this, then we have a serious problem. We have to. We cannot let this. We have a responsibility. Yeah, we absolutely have a responsibility for this. Ray, how many boaters? Yeah, it's super true. Boaters? How many boaters are currently operating in Colorado? I just want to see the discrepancy between the seaplane pilots and the number of boaters. Well, the last number I heard was 85,000 registered boats in Colorado. So somebody do the math. Yeah, so I mean... Even if every rated seaplane pilot in the state owned a seaplane, um, which it would, it would still only be less than 1% of the registered boats. And from our experience, we know that really that the most generous estimate is that 20% of rated seaplane pilots own an airplane. So now we're talking about a fraction of 1%. And so when we've been given all of this kind of hardship on access due to safety and water quality and invasive species, it's really important for the, the listeners to know that from our perspective, you know, again, our, our maximum exposure here is a fraction of 1%. That's correct. And uh, I was uh, talking with a gentleman not too very long ago, and he expressed it sort of like this. If you see one plane, uh, one plane, consider yourself lucky. If you've seen two, it's time to go out and buy a lottery ticket. And if you've seen three, somebody has made a plan. So uh, uh, it's not going to be like uh, seaplanes are going to displace boats. Uh, There's only going to be one or two at most on the lake at any one time. Fair and equal access. I like that. Thank you. Yes. And, you know, and that's been some of the the frustration we've been told. Literally, Ray and I were told, well, there's too many uh, boats that operate on a particular, particular reservoir that we were fighting to open and looking at. So Ray and I literally went out on a weekend day at like one in the afternoon on a Saturday and in the middle of prime boating time. 
and we shot photos of this lake with a wide angle lens and we got one sailboat and you know we could only get one sailboat in the image you remember that ray oh yeah that was chatfield reservoir as a matter of fact and uh uh and whenever you take a look at that lake uh from time to time so there are uh, dates especially weekends holiday weekends where there there will be a significant amount of boats on the lake but nothing like union lake in seattle and uh, if you want to uh, see something really spectacular uh go to uh, uh yahoo or one of google and look at uh, seaplane landing lake union in seattle and uh landing on that lake it, it frightens me sometimes just to look at it yeah and then one of the other pushbacks we had at one of the public meetings that we went to was you you can't operate seaplanes um, on this reservoir because it's too small and then we went to the reservoir number one as we, as we drove into uh, a marina area they had number one a hot air ballooning area and number two a, a remote control airplane field where they could fly remote control airplanes so they're allowing hot air balloons and and remote control airplanes we go in though and they had this marina and i think the largest boat we saw there was like 42 feet in size it was a 42 foot long boat and you know i live on a lake that we operate seaplanes abby's in every day literally with a seaplane i buzz his house (laughs) i do it on purpose and I would never put a 42-foot boat in in my lake, much less Lake Jesse, which is, you know, the home of the of the busiest seaplane school in the world. You would never see a 42-foot boat on a 180-acre lake. No, that's true. But uh, one of the things that uh, I have found, especially when talking with people like uh, the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, they had written a seaplane landing plan that uh, was pretty extensive, I thought, uh, except that they said within that that certain lakes are too small for seaplanes to operate. Now, this thing was written back in the 1960s, and I think the technology of seaplanes have advanced to the point to where they should actually be looking at that again because those paradigms that they held to create those decisions no longer apply. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, just to kind of reinforce how much work we've done is we got a we we had a very generous uh, contribution from the Walton Family Foundation, which funded us to do some research on waterways in in Colorado. And our agreement was that we really weren't interested in looking at lakes under five hundred acres, which is very normal for us to operate on. Again, the the largest seaplane school in the world is operating on a 180 acre lake but because of the altitude and the density altitude issues with colorado we just said we're not really going to look at any water smaller than 500 acres because we don't need to but we also looked at boating restrictions and the kind of boating activity uh, that occurs on these waterways and we also put a cap on on the altitude we weren't going to look at any water over 8,000 feet because that's probably overly challenging for the average seaplane pilot. So when we're committing to work with these public officials, it's important to know that the Seaplane Pilots Association, and again, thank you to the Walton Family Foundation for their help in funding um, our assessment of the waterways. But we literally looked at what 
produce conducive conditions for us to operate seaplanes safely and, and doing so where it didn't really impact the public any more than it had to. That is correct. And uh, one of the uh, things that we have done recently, in fact, uh, March of this year, uh, we sat down with uh, a federal agency, the Bureau of Reclamation, that uh, controls a good number of the lakes in Colorado, especially west of the divide. And uh, we took their three issues that they had written to us in a letter that said safety, security, and invasive species. And we went down the list and we said, okay, these are the reasons why safety is not as big an issue as you might think it might be. And we got all the way through to the end and we asked them, does this answer your questions? Does this answer your concerns? They said, yes, good. Then we went on to uh, the security issue. We found out that they were primarily concerned about aircraft hitting the dams and that kind of thing. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and we said, hey, you have uh, buoys around these dams that say that uh, boats can't operate there. A seaplane, in our opinion, is nothing more than a powered boat that gets to the water in a slightly different manner. Yes. So we have to obey the same rules as any other vessel, any other boat on the water. If you have buoys that say we can't go there, we can't go there. And then we ask them if that satisfied their requirements. Yeah, and I thought it was ironic that I I thought it was ironic that they were mentioning that they had a fear of seaplanes hitting dams because there's never been a documented instance of a seaplane hitting a dam anywhere in the world um, unless it was in wartime and World War II maybe with the dam busters. But I mean, so where did, you know, this really goes to that lack of education and knowledge of the risk. And and again, this is the value that we can bring to it because there never has been an incident of a a seaplane impacting uh, a dam. So why would you restrict them based on something that's never happened. A hypothetical. Yeah. Uh, unfounded right. hypothetical. I always thought that it was I always thought it was kind of interesting because if a aircraft, whether it has to be a seaplane or not, hits the dam, it's gonna scratch the paint on the dam, but it's gonna total that airplane. Yeah, oh, it's not yeah. not oh, in the boy. pilot's best interest to do that. No. Absolutely not. So we went through safety, security and invasive species. What did you guys talk about with invasive species? That's well, been... We went through the entire inspection process, and uh, there is a document that's called the UMPS-3, and I'm not going to try and uh, pronounce all the words that go along with that uh, particular document. But in there, there is a uh, complete section on seaplanes about what a seaplane pilot should do in order to make sure that his aircraft is free from invasive species. And I said, if we follow these uh, instructions, these that were written by the Western uh, panel for uh, invasive species, would this satisfy your requirement? Yes, it will. And they said, if you provide all of these uh, documents, all of these uh, uh, documents and uh, uh, facts that you've just given us in a letter, and Steve, you wrote that letter for us, thank you very much, uh, we sent that on to the uh, Bureau of Reclamation. Now, because of the COVID situation and all their offices being somewhat understaffed, uh, this progress on that has been a little bit slow, but I've been promised that this will eventually uh, lead to an easing of the restrictions. 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've been working on this, like this journey and this quest for eight years now. And, you know, as you mentioned, we've testified at, at many local and state level meetings. We've been at the state capitol. Uh, we've got a lobbyist that's been working with us. SPA produced our first ever uh, advocacy special edition to educate the public and the policymakers um, of Waterflying Magazine, uh, which we dedicated to addressing the issues that were being brought up to us. And we've distributed like 10,000 copies of that with the help of Whip Air and Aeroset and, and other supporters that helped, helped make that happen. But, you know, with all of that that we've done and that I've done with you, I, I know you ride around with a car with its trunk literally full of, you know, educational material and, and resources. Give me some insight and our listeners some insight to some of the other hard work that you've been doing because it it's just it's just you know mind-boggling to me how much you've done well every year uh we put on a splash in at each of the two lakes that we currently have access to uh that in itself is a lot uh it's uh, usually months worth of preparation for uh, one day's worth of activities but uh usually it's a it's a pretty good trade-off in my opinion uh but we also have other events, uh, two that we had just this last month. Uh, one was for the fire boss, as I previously mentioned. It's a, a beautiful aircraft that is capable of so much good for the community. And uh, also we had the muscle dogs. Muscle dogs are, well, you've heard of explosive canines that are able, and drug dogs that are able to sniff out uh, these different things. Well, the muscle dogs are able to sniff out the uh, invasive species, the quagga muscle and zebra muscle. And uh, those are the uh, ones that uh, Colorado is definitely afraid of. Uh, so uh, we were hoping that uh, by having this little expedition, uh, expedition, one more time, <laughs> exhibition, there you go. There you the go. Word. You got it. Third uh, time's are a turn. <laughs> right. Uh, we were able to uh, introduce these uh, uh, dogs to the uh, state. And hopefully, they'll be able to use them to be shorten the lines uh, to be able to get boats as well as maybe seaplanes onto some of these lakes. Just doing some amazing work over there. Wow! So, I I thought of this question earlier, and it sounds very cold hearted, but Ray, why should I care? I am a perfectly happy seaplane pilot in Florida. I'm flying 365 days a year. Why should I care about seaplane access in Colorado? Now, that's a very important question because that is the real root of why I got involved with seaplanes in Colorado. It is the, the denial of a freedom. We are always a nation that loves freedom and we're supposed to be home, land of the free home of the brave and uh, our state governments uh, should be working to help us be able to do the things that we want to do if you go to a state government and say I want to do this lawful federally licensed activity why am I being prohibited and they simply say because they say so that's not an answer. Government's supposed to work with us. Freedom of navigation has always been at a the very basis of the uh, 
American way of life. Uh, the riverways and uh, waterways of our nation were the interstate highways whenever the nation was born. And just imagine, if you will, somebody along the interstate highway says, oh, here, here's a sign that says uh, we're going to prohibit motorcycles. Uh, we're going to prohibit uh, these tricycle-type motorcycles. We're going to prohibit other types of uh, things. That is what got me first started. And then when, if you take and look at this as a uh, follow-on, you'll see that if it happens here in Colorado, next it could happen in Wyoming, it could happen in Arizona, and eventually Florida. And if they, uh, they've already got some pretty heavy restrictions in some areas rever- uh, regarding seaplanes in all states. Yeah, and I think and that's... if uh, these are left... Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I just, I love that example you just used about motorcycles, you know, being banned from using the road, where cars use the, the road. And I think that's at the core of the issue that, that you and I have always had, is that all we're asking for is fair and equal access. And so we're taxpaying members of the public, we're citizens of the United States, just like the boating community or other people that enjoy access to these waterways. We're not asking for anything different. The only thing we're asking for is the same luxuries that are afforded to other user groups. And and why should we be earmarked out where boaters have access to these waterways? Other people have access to use and enjoyment of these waterways as recreational activities, which is really the crux of what the majority of seaplane operations are, is a recreational activity. Why should they, how, how can they make a determination completely not based on, on the data that precludes us from having access to these waterways? So it, to me, it really comes down to fair and equal access. But also, as you said, what we saw was other states looking to Colorado, watching Colorado's policy making and our efforts in Colorado, and then saying, hmm, maybe there's a reason why we should be restricting um, access in other states, uh, as Colorado is. I believe that is true, and but uh, part of the other ar- argument that I've had with it is that uh, it is discriminatory. Uh, if you were to look at any of the regulations that apply to boating, uh, to water recreations, seaplane is the only one that's actually spelled out. It's the only one that actually says seaplanes prohibited. It doesn't say vessels that don't conform to these particular uh, guidelines are prohibited. It says seaplanes. And that is by its very nature biased and uh, and discriminatory. Just fair and equal access. That's, that's all we're asking for in Colorado. So, but... You know, things are getting better in Colorado. You talked about your opening new seaplane bases. I know AOPA just published this great article on the latest seaplane base that opened in Colorado. So you're continuing to expand splash-ins, seaplane communities, and, you know, you guys are fighting fires with seaplanes out there. So things are getting better. The value to the non-flying public is there. So you'd say that there is a future of seaplane flying in Colorado, correct? It's a very bright future, as a matter of fact. I see it as uh, uh, going to be opening up hopefully real soon. Uh, as I said, we discussed this with the uh, 
federal uh, <clears throat> with the Bureau of Reclamation. Sometimes I have to pronounce words very carefully. I get them really screwed up. That's a tongue anyway. twister. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the Bureau of Reclamation, and hopefully that's going to open up some waters. Uh, uh, just kind of uh, keep this one quiet. We've got the... Uh, uh, just keep it quiet. We're on a podcast. Set up. Yeah, yeah just, just don't talk about it too very much. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> we're, gonna, uh, uh, we're, we're working on uh, getting a, a golf tournament going. Uh, where the uh, participants will actually fly in on seaplanes and uh, dock right by uh, hole number 10. I want <laughs> to go. And to play at that point. So, uh, you know, just all sorts of things are happening here in Colorado. It's a very exciting time to be a seaplane pilot here in Colorado. And uh, hopefully we'll join the rest of the nation as being at least partially open seaplane and you'll get your seaplane rating with well, any luck once colorado uh, opens once colorado has a school <laughs> yeah. i'm looking forward as, to as it i've told a lot of people about seaplane rating uh this is the most expensive rating i've never got <laughs> it's pretty good <laughs> pretty accurate well oddly enough ray i i understand you're actually scheduled to take a seaplane flight today so we want to make sure we don't hold you up and keep you from enjoying that Colorado water uh, via seaplane. So I'd like to really very honestly and sincerely thank you on behalf of the entire seaplane community uh, for your tireless efforts to open up the state of Colorado. It is an absolute pleasure working with you. You're an inspiration um, to not only myself, but everyone that watches you in action and I hope we can have you back on our podcast soon for an update. And um, that'll be it for today. But go enjoy that Colorado water. Will do. I've really enjoyed it. And the lovely uh, talking with you both. And we'll get this done one way or another. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying. <laughs>